0: We'll start in verse 45. We took a huge chunk last time, the whole second song of Moses today, just a small chunk. I can't resist. I think this is so important. Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting at verse 45. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart, All the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and acknowledge these are no empty words. They're living and active. They never return to you void. They accomplish whatever you wish, Lord. We pray that they'd be no empty words to us. Help us, O oh Lord power of your spirit to take this to heart. Don't let the enemy snatch it. Don't let us grow up for a short season and wilt away. Don't let us get choked out by the weeds. Lord, may your word not only find its place in our heart, but may we be hungry for it in general. But as a result of this sermon, Lord, please help me um, as I preach this. Leave that impression on our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, there's something about a person's last words that give them a lot of extra weight and significance. Because we say a lot of words, don't we, as we go around in the world, but given the opportunity, if you have the opportunity, a person can use their last words to show what they're really about, uh, underline what they think is most important, what an opportunity. So take, for example, the difference between the last words of Voltaire And the last words of Polycarp. They definitely show you something about who those men were. Voltaire was a French Enlightenment thinker. He was a fierce opponent of Christianity. He said, I think I'll live to see the day when Christianity is abolished. I'll I'll live to see the day when the Bible is no longer printed. But his last words recorded by his Christian physician were, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I'm worth if you will give me six months of life. Then I shall go to hell, and you will go with me, O Christ, O Jesus Christ. The end. That's Voltaire. But then Polycarp, on the other hand, he's an early church father. He knew the Apostle John. He's the Bishop of Smyrna. He said this before he was burned at the stake and then thrust through because the fire wasn't killing him fast enough. He said, Lord God Almighty, Father of your beloved and Blessed child Christ Jesus, I bless you that you have thought me worthy of this day and this hour. That I may be able to share in the number of the martyrs, to drink from the cup of your Christ, that I may rise and live forever, body and soul, in the incorruption of the Holy Spirit. And oh, a person's last words, if you have the opportunity, they can tell a lot about a person. They're also a great opportunity to highlight about something about a person that this person thinks is important I don't know if you've ever heard of the idea of a swan song. You might have heard of this. A swan song is it's a final gesture or a performance given before a person dies or before they retire. So Johnny Cash had a swan song. He used Nine Inch Nails song Hurt to express hope in the face of addiction. Derek Jeter ended his last game with the Yankees with a walk-off hit. Hit the ball, won the game, and it was sort of an exclamation point on a successful career. All this to say a person's last words, their last actions, their lasts can be full of significance. And I bet you already know where I'm going with this. Because tonight we're, we're looking at Moses' last words about the covenant. Uh, you've hung in there with me for a long time to look at all of this covenant document, but here are Moses' last words on this covenant document. before he gives a blessing and then passes away this very day. So at the end of our studies on this covenant document, we have to ask, well, what did Moses want to leave us with? What does he want to underline? What does he want to leave us with of first importance? Well, he says here, he wants us to take to heart all these words. That's what he leaves us with. That's the echo for the blessing in the end. So for our sermon tonight, I I just want to drive home. This is a basic point. I want to drive home Moses' point for you. That it's absolutely imperative that you are in constant contact with the word of God. For our first point, we'll just look at Moses actually gives three commands. We'll look at his commands, Moses' commands. And then for our second point, we'll look at Moses' three encouragements. Commands and then encouragements. That's our, we'll take our sermon in two halves. So first, let's look at his commands. Because first, Moses gives us three final commands. The first command is there in verse 46. He says, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today. Now in Hebrew, this verse is actually saying, it's literally saying, set your heart on all of these words. Or actually it could be translated, set all the words in your heart. You say, what's the difference? It doesn't matter. Either way, I want you to notice a couple things about this verse. First, it commands an action. It commands you to do something. He says, set. Set your heart on this. Set these words inside. Set it. It's something God's calling you to do. It's, it's a command. He's saying, get the word of God in your heart. Now, there are a lot of ways you can do this. You can write it on your bathroom mirror and memorize it, getting ready for work. You can listen to earbud- a sermon on your earbuds as you clean the house. You can sing it when you're in line for uh, rush hour or carpool or whatever. You, I will say this, though. There's still all those ways are great ways. Let me say this, there is absolutely no substitute for setting aside some kind of regular time to read the Bible Uh, or or to listen to it audibly if if you have a hard time reading. Devotionals are great, but they're not a good substitute. Sermons are wonderful. I'm glad you're here for this one, but they're they're still pre-digested, pre-packaged for you. I'm talking about you getting yourself alone with the Lord to interact with the word yourself. Hear from him yourself. Then there's more because this verse says it says set. It gives something to do set, but then it says set your heart or set in your heart all the words. Now, in seminary, we had a lot of reading to get through, as is common in all of your grad school programs, but to get full credit for a class, you had to sign off that you read all of it. So, of course, sometimes it's tempting to just do a, a quick skim and say, yeah, I read it, and... Because sometimes you just need to get it done. There's not enough time. But our professors had a saying. They said, eye on every word. They said You can't sign this unless you had an eye on every word. Well, what they meant by this was even if you didn't totally understand it, because sometimes you don't understand it, you had to put your eyes on every word. You had to try to understand it. You had to at least get through it. Well, this is not the kind of reading we're talking about with the Bible, eye on every word. God doesn't just want you to get it done. Eye on every word. He, he wants you to set it in your heart. He wants you to have an intellectual engagement with it. Like, get it into your memories. Understand some things about it. He wants you to let it impact you emotionally. Uh, Feel something from it. Let let it be real to you. He wants you to let it impact your will. Uh, Let it make a difference in how you live. Let it make changes in your life or things that you do that you didn't do before, things you're not doing that... I can't tell you exactly how to do this. Uh, You have to find your own way. Maybe you personally, you need to read four chapters a day so you can do the whole Bible in a year uh, with one day off. Maybe you just need to read a short passage five times through. You say, it, I'm dense. I've got I to gotta read it a couple times. i got to read the same book over and over again. Or There's a lot of freedom. Maybe you need to go for a walk with it. Maybe you're like, I'm too ADHD. i gotta, I got to move. Okay, we'll go walk with it. Maybe you need to retreat to the mountains. You're too distractible. Maybe you have to have coffee with it so you can at least sip something. Or maybe you just need to start with a chapter a day. Start with the five-pound weights, right? Start with the three-pound weights. You know, you can read the whole New Testament in a year with just a chapter a day easily. Even skipping some days. You can do it any way you want. I don't want to be legalistic about that. I'm only saying, he is saying, get it in your heart. Come into contact with it. Be with it. Finally, in this verse, he tells you he wants you to set in your heart all the words. You see, all the times he says all, not just the ones that are easy to understand, not just the ones that you find to be your pet topics, not the ones that agree with your sensibilities, not the ones that agree with our theological emphases. All the words, all the words he's revealed. That's what you set in your heart. So God's command here at the end of Deuteronomy 32 is to feed often on the word of God. And you'll say, well, this is something that pastors always say, and this isn't needful for us. Well, I think it's very needful because you know what I find in shepherding visits? I say, I try to ask, I do a little diagnostic with my shepherding group and I say, I've got a wonderful shepherding group. If you're here in your shepherding group, you're great. But people are, you know what the standard answer is about being in the word is, well, I'm not in there as much as I'd like to be. Or at all. And I say, well, we need, we need this. So that's first. God's second command shows up in verse 46. Not just set all these words in your heart. He says that you may command them to your children. Some pretty notable last words of Moses, right? Now this word, this moves beyond just getting it into yourself. And it moves beyond sharing the word with other people. He's saying specifically, share it with your children. Highlights the fact that as a parent, your highest duty is to bring your children to Jesus. Right up there with loving them, keeping them alive. Do that too. But you're to bring them into regular contact with the word of God. The, ideally, uh, it's in your heart so that when you're sharing it with them, uh, they see that you love it. Because on your deathbed, what will matter out of all the things that you're so worried about laundry, job, people like you, all those things, what will matter most on that day, what you'll never regret, is the time that you spent bringing your kids into contact with the Word of God. I think anyone will say, well, I did that too much. Uh, I'll ask this, what wouldn't you do for your kids to love Jesus more? So how do we do this? Well, when you set it, you just kind of get in your mind. This is my tip-top priority for my kids. It's like There's almost none higher. I, I will bring them into regular contact with God's word. And then you find a way. Once you make that commitment, you just find a way. Uh, I like how Deuteronomy 6 puts it from earlier in this book. You will teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and... Moses is saying, do it all the time. Do it any way you can. Get it in there. Uh, It can look like all kinds of things. It can look like, hey, just discuss a proverb around the breakfast table. Uh, It could look like uh, you're on a hike with your family on vacation Well, at the top of the mountain, quote Psalm 8. It could look like singing in the car, singing around a campfire. It can look like all kinds of things. We're here to support you in this. We all took vows to help each other do this what pastors are for, and Sunday school is for, and youth group is for, and VBS is for, and but as a parent, it's primarily your duty to get God's word in your kid as much as possible. It's your duty, no substitute. So let me say this, dads, or if dads aren't in the picture, grandpas, If you're not doing this already, it's time to start family devotions as often a week as you can do it, because it's your duty, men, to open up the word of God for your families. God holds you accountable for that. You ought to count this as one of your most sacred duties, and as you do it, you'll count it one of your most pleasurable duties. It's one of the most important parts of every day. So you want some help on how to do that. You think, well, how do I do this and arrange this? And what does it look like? And Well, you just grab an elder. They'd be tickled to talk to you about this, to help you figure something out. Because it's not always easy, right? Something else has to go for this to come in, and I'm sure. But command one, put all the words in your heart. Command two, put it in your children's heart. It's kind of like the air mask comes down. Put that air mask on and make sure it's on your kid. All right, command number three from verse 46. Set all these words in your heart. Teach them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. Now, at the end of the day, it's not just that we put this word in our hearts because it satisfies our intellectual curiosity, because it's really just good to learn things, but we put it in our hearts for a purpose so that we might do it. Do it. Not just hearers, doers. In Hebrew, the word for be careful, it's a strong word, it's a guarding word, it's a protecting word, it's a word that they used for the temple guards who stood there with spears guarding the temple. It's that kind of word. Moses is saying, be vigilant, so you're not just a hearer of the word, but that you're doing the word. So we have to protect the right interpretation of the word, absolutely, that's what the priests and the scribes were supposed to do, but also need to guard ourselves to make sure we're also following it. You know, there's a lot of dangerous tendencies we have to fight in this area. Some of us, we look at those conscientious people, those really careful people, and we say, ugh, that's just too much. They're over the top. They're legalistic. But you hear what Moses say. He says, be careful. Oh, yeah, it's, it's wrong to add to God's word. It's wrong to keep God's word and then look down on other people who aren't keeping God's word as well as you are. That's legalism, but... You can never be too careful with the word of God. Or some of us get really charged up by God's word. We hear it on Sunday. We shout, amen, amen, I love that. But then we don't really do anything with it, right? The word confronts you with something you need to change, and then it bounces off you like a force field. Or the word brings up up something new that you need to do, and you just are really easy on yourself, and you let yourself get distracted. But then against this, Moses says, careful. Be careful to do it. Do it. Uh, Some of us just want to keep part of his words. I had friends that called themselves cafeteria Christians, and they say, well, I'll take the uh, cornbread, not so much the peas, and we really like the God is love parts. We like the parts about his blessings and obedience and the wealth, and we like the parts about unconditional grace, unconditional mercy, but not so much the wrath parts and the sacrificing parts, the suffering and co-laboring with Christ, and the, the laws that grate on our culture. And against this, Moses says, he says, be careful to do all the words of this law. So anyway, these are Moses. This is Moses' swan song. These are his most important closing commands. As he closes this covenant document before the blessing and his death, I'll say again at this point, uh, these aren't like polite suggestions that Moses is giving. I want you to feel the weight of these are being, his, his being his last words. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, just kind of try to get in the word every once in a while. If not, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Wouldn't it be great if we just ideally kind of read the Bible a little more? No, I'm saying this is a really big deal. This is God's command through Moses. This is what he's leaving you with. This is the spring out of which all of your Christian life flows, the word of God. Because man does not live on bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of the Father. If you're on the fence now, you're thinking, oh, maybe I'll get, he's saying, do it, get in the word. So Moses is telling you, get the word in you so it can change you. That's our first point. Now for our second point, let's talk about the encouragement part. Uh, I've actually said this before in other sermons. This is God's pattern. Uh, He tells you to do something, and you should just do it because he said so, right? But he's so gracious here, he stoops down like a patient parent. He tells you why you should want to do this, like why it's worth doing this, why it's worth rearranging your schedule and making new priorities and all of that. He's saying, because there's not just three commands in this passage— he gives you three reasons you should want to do it. And the first reason is there in verse 47, he says, for, because for it's no empty word for you. I think if we're honest, sometimes Bible reading feels a little bit empty. I'm not saying that the Bible's empty, I'm saying sometimes it feels empty. Like you feel like the word is empty. This is, I just read this whole passage and it's some dates and names, and these rules still for me, these stories, how does this connect? And you might read the Bible and think, was that really a good use of my time? I mean, there's a lot of things I should be doing, but here I am just sitting and reading, and it was this maybe reading the Bible just feels empty in certain periods of your life. You think, well, I've read this a million times already. I just read this last year. What's one more reading going to do? I know it. Uh, Or I've read it. I don't even understand what I'm reading. Or You know, I read it, and I don't really ever seem to get anything out of this. And sometimes it can feel empty. That's what I'm trying to... I I can resonate with you. Sometimes it can feel empty, but God says, No. It is no empty word for you. These are words from God. Let that sink in. If you were to find an ancient 4,000-year-old tablet on an archaeological dig you'd want to study it and squeeze every little bit of meaning from it that you possibly could. Or if you received a a personalized letter from your greatest hero, you found a posthumous letter from the love of your life, you just hang on every word. This book contains the very words of God for you. It's no empty word. It's everything. Not only does this book contain the very words of God for you, He's promised that he'll take his spirit and he'll enlighten you through it and he'll change you through it. And so even just the reading of it, just the mundane daily coming into contact with the spirit of God, with he himself, that can make all the difference in your life, even if it's imperceptible at the time. I heard an illustration years ago from a famous apologist and it stuck with me. He used to tell the story of a man who asked his son to take a basket To a pump to get a little bit of water, and his son protested and said, well, that'd be pointless because if you put a basket under a pump, it won't hold any water. All the water will come out through the holes, and the father said, nevertheless, please do it. The son went, and he pumped water through the basket, brought the basket back, and said, see, there's no water in this basket. This is no good. And the father said, yes, but it's a lot cleaner, though, isn't it? It goes to show you won't always be able to see all the good that the word of God is doing in your life, you don't always go to the gym and see all the good that the gym does in your life. Likely you won't understand every word of it either that you read, but God makes this promise. He says, my word is living and it's active. It's doing things in you, even if you have to see it retroactively. You look back and say, well, I actually really did a lot of things in me. And God's word never returns to him void, he says in Isaiah 55. It always accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. It's no empty word for you. It's not empty. You might feel empty. Combat that. Uh, this here's a good place to, to combat that lie of the evil one. It's, not, it's no empty word for you. That leads us to reason two. Verse 47, he says, It is no empty word for you, but it's your very life. It's your life. Not only is the word of God not empty, but it's your life. And I, I think we all kind of intuitively have a sense of what this means, but what exactly does this mean? Well, I'll illustrate it this way I know you all have a friend who's a fanatical fan of something Uh, maybe they're a fanatical fan of fishing which is great fishing's great they might say fishing is my life and then they've got salt life on the back of their car and and all these things and go on fishing and my cousin's like this and so what do they mean by that well they mean fishing is one of their reasons for being Uh, it's, it's part of their purpose. They want to get to it. It's part of their identity. They want to share that with you, and it's what gets them out of bed in the morning sometimes. They can work, so they can make money, so they can go fishing, and they mean it's a central organizing life principle. They live where they live so they can fish. Their money goes to new boats and new rods and things, and they mean that fishing keeps them going. Fishing can get them through a hard day. Fishing helps them unwind at the end of a hard week, and so, yeah, weird example, but transfer that idea into the word It's your very life. It's your reason for being. It tells you who you are. It tells you your purpose. It's your central organizing principle. It informs where you live, how you think, how you structure your life. It's supposed to be what keeps you going. It's supposed to give you fresh peace, fresh uh, hope, fresh strength, uh, keeping you into sustaining glimpses of God. The Word of God is supposed to be everything to a Christian. It's a Christian's life, it's our bread and butter. And just think for a moment about what God says he, the Word does for a man if a man is in the Word consistently. Psalm 19 is perfect. Psalm 19.7, it revives the soul. You start to dry up, it revives the soul. Psalm 19.7, it makes wise the simple. It doesn't happen overnight. you got to be in it to make it happen. It transforms how you think. It gives you understanding. Psalm 19.8, it rejoices the heart. It gives joy. Nothing brings joy like the hope of the gospel, like a clean conscience, like knowing what God really thinks about you. It enlightens the eyes, Psalm 19.8, either meaning it, it lights your path or it lights your countenance. It could mean either thing. Uh, Psalm 19.10, by them is your servant warned. It keeps you back from sin, keeps you back. I can't tell how many times I've read the Bible and I'm doing something and it's like, oh, I can't do that. In keeping it, there is great reward, Psalm 19 says. It leads to sure rewards in this life and even better in the life to come. It's no empty word, brothers and sisters. It's your life. The word of God is your life. And then he gives you one more reason. Reason number three. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. Now, I'm sure you know that back in the Old Covenant, one of the big goals was you want to live in the promised land, right, with God's people in the presence of God, and it's clear throughout Deuteronomy that one of the most important ways you can do that, the one of the ways you can make it into the promised land through the wilderness is believe God at his word, cling to his word, do his word, and, you know, brothers and sisters, there's just nothing that's changed on that front. So we got to update it for the New Covenant, we live in a new dispensation, of course, but We're no longer yearning for just a little strip in Palestine. You're looking for a place in a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a place for you. So this is saying that when you get this word in your heart, when you share this word with your kids, when you're careful to do this word and to live out this word as a person who's transformed by faith, this is how God preserves you. So that you may live forever in the land that Jesus is preparing for you. An eternal inheritance. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So this is actually one of those, this isn't just one of those, oh, be good in your spiritual discipline things. This is one of those, your soul is at stake kind of things. Uh, We should be getting his word in us and we should be getting his word in our kids like our eternal lives depend on it. Now, of course, I know uh, you're saved by Christ alone, through faith alone and not by your merit. I know that. I get that. I know I'm saying this very strongly. But this is where Jesus appears to you. This is how he communicates with you. This is where Jesus speaks to you and sustains you by his spirit. How can we not be in it? especially with all the lies that surround us so thickly today. Spend whole days in the world, minutes in this, and oh, what could be more important? Is there anything more worthy of setting your clock ahead 30 minutes? Is there anything more worthy of delaying your TV time 30 minutes with your family before you switch it on? Because... It is no empty word for us. It is our life. And by this word, we shall live forever in the land. There's some great reasons to be more in the word of God. So there we have it. This is Moses' swan song. This is his final thing to say on the covenant. So what would he have ringing in your ear? He would say, okay, but cling to these things I just said. (laughs) Cling to these things I just said. Read your Bible read it yourself, teach it to your family, study it, memorize it, build your life on it. You know, one of Jesus' last words in one of his sermons were, build your life on the rock of my teachings, right? My hope for this sermon, my modest hope for this sermon is that uh, it takes Moses' words and, and presses it to leave a deeper impression on your soul, that those who aren't reading it would read it more, that those who are reading it would read it more deeply, that, Sometimes that that impression is all that keeps me coming back to the Bible every morning. It's that impression that God leaves over time. Okay, but I know that this is among the most important things I can do today. Got to put this first. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. And so even if I can't feel the truth of it in the moment, I've seen it borne out over time. And so brothers and sisters, get in your Bibles, get in them deeply and often, Not because it's another thing you should do, but because it's a lifeline to God and it will sustain you on your way to be with him forever. Amen. Let's pray. So Father, a modest prayer, but you're able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think. So why do I ask modestly? But Father, uh, press this on our souls. So that we might cling ever more fully to your word. That we might be in it. Help us to even enjoy it, Lord, and to bask in it and give us sweet times of fellowship, O oh Lord. And, and when the drier times come, the dry times because of our soul, Lord, uh, keep this impression in our soul so that we still cling to it anyway. And Lord, may it be in our heart and may it preserve us so that we may live long in the land May we all make it long in the land that you're giving us to inherit. Pray all this, O Lord, to you, Father, and to Jesus, you who are the word. Holy Spirit, you who brings all this to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.